This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the 37th edition of the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view or listen to the Thrive Podcast. Um, just a note uh, for those of you who are regular viewers and or listeners, we're hoping to expand the Thrive Podcast in the coming weeks uh, from one a week uh, to five a week, uh, if God allows us the opportunity to do that. So uh, be on the lookout for that, uh, and uh, we'll tell you more as it gets closer to time. In the meantime, I am very happy today to welcome Mr. Will Merrill uh, to uh, the podcast, and uh, Mr. Merrill uh, is a stand-up comedian. Yeah. He is also the host of Laugh Now, Laugh Later, yep. which is uh, the sketch comedy uh, program product of our own producer, Mr. Terrence Turner. Uh, and he works uh, for the retirement system of state teachers for the state of Louisiana. Did yeah. I get that right? Yeah, teacher's retirement. Teacher's <laughs> retirement system. Mr. Merrill, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. Thank you for having today. me. I appreciate it. Okay, so let's let's start with the stand-up comedy part. Yes, sir. How did you get into stand-up comedy? You're now, I believe, the third or the fourth stand-up comedian that I've had here. All mm. of them young people. Mm. Uh, so there is something about stand-up comedy that's going on that I enjoy stand-up comedy, but I yeah. had no idea that we had so many local stand-up comedians uh, right around us in the Baton Rouge area. How did you yeah. get into stand-up comedy? Um, honestly, I was actually looking for a job. <laughs> I just I just finished college, and I was looking for something to do. I had nothing else really to go on, so mm -hmm. I was watching uh, Kevin Hart's Seriously Funny okay. stand-up special on uh, Comedy Central. And so I thought to myself, you know what? Let me give it a shot. You know, let me just try it out and see. Mm -hmm. So I went to like a local open mic here in Baton Rouge uh, just to watch, to learn. And the next week, uh, I signed up and got on stage. And I've been doing it ever since. How did your first excursion go? It, uh... It was better to be expected, but it still wasn't good. <laughs> but, but Nobody I, booed you off the stage. No no one booed me off the stage. Everyone listened. I got a couple of chuckles there, here okay. and there. So, But it was enough to keep me going. So. And how long was your set? Uh, it was five minutes. Okay. Do you remember anything that you talked about during that time? Um, at the time, I was working at a golf course, so a lot okay. of my jokes were golf-related. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I remember okay. one particular is talking about how golfers, you know, if it's different when they look at the weather, depending on what they need to do. You know, if it's going to be a 20% chance of rain and they need to cut the grass, then they're like, oh, no, I'm not going outside to cut the grass. But as soon as it's time to play golf, all of a sudden they're like, you know, certified meteorologists. <laughs> they're looking at the barometric pressure. They're looking at, you know, cold fronts coming in. Right. They're like, oh, well, it's going to rain between 1130 and 2 o'clock, so I could probably get at least nine holes in between there. You know, so it, it does one of my first jokes. Okay. So, I have listened to comedians and I've, I've watched interviews with comedians mm -hmm. a common thread that many of the more famous comedians uh, bring up when they talk about their comedy routines is that it's birthed in some kind of pain mm -hmm. some kind of painful experience in their past that they find themselves working through and laughing at rather than crying at would you agree that uh comedy from your standpoint is birthed in some kind of pain oh definitely definitely i mean i i have one of my famous jokes is always talking about how broke i am mm -hmm. and it comes from the fact that you know we were on government assistance when i was growing up mm -hmm. um my mother was we was on food stamps we had you know section eight welfare you name it we had it like i remember even as a young child um going to cheneyville and zach near Zachary getting the boxes of commodity foods, you mm -hmm. know, like the government cheese and the, right. the, the canned chicken and <laughs> stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And just getting that and just making do. So, and like one of my more famous jokes I have is having, you know, bad credit at 37 weeks gestation 
because I <laughs> because I always you know my mom put stuff in my name when I was younger. And, Is that right? And that's and it's the truth. You know, okay. my, my mother put stuff in my name. So and. She put stuff in my name. She's put stuff in my sister's name. She's put stuff in my brother's name. She's changed names, <laughs> you know, to to get different accounts and stuff like that. So, but we, at the time, you know, we did what we had to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those experiences, you know, helps create some of the comedy that I uh, tell. As you work through those types of experiences and develop routines, around them uh do you have the opportunity to share uh those experiences with significant others uh your mom Mm -hmm. uh your siblings uh are they concerned about you using that material in your uh stand-up routine no my my family is actually supportive um, which is actually a blessing, to be honest with you, because a lot of comedians that I know, um, they don't have that type of backing or support from their family. Mm-hmm. But my family, they're 100% backing behind me. You know, they they don't mind the fact that, you know, I tell the jokes that I do tell, mm-hmm. whether it paints them in a bad light or not. But I'm not being malicious or anything, no. of course, but... It, it, it's just that some people want their <laughs> privacy maintained. Right. What you telling those people we were pulled for? <laughs> that kind of thing. Right, right, right. And, and and things like that. But my my mom especially, you know, she's 100% back, back me. She's always laughed. She, she'd even give me, you know, ideas. Like, hey, you should tell them about the time. <laughs> we had tuna fish for Thanksgiving. You should tell them about that. And it's like, ah, well, well, I'll try to make that funny, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so they're definitely very supportive. And, you know, they try to encourage me to keep moving, keep trying to, you know, if it's more of a therapeutic thing for me to make, you know, jokes or be, do use comedy to go through, you know, mm-hmm. to, I guess, to experience, well, not experience, but to uh, navigate through the the pain of everything that has gone through in the past, and they encouraged me to do so. That's good. Mm-hmm. So, how old a man are you, if you don't um, mind my asking? I'm 34. You're 34, okay. Young guy. <laughs> God, I feel older and older every time I'm sitting with you, with you guys. So, how many gigs do you do a year? Comedy gigs. Uh, comedy gigs a year. Um, wow, probably anywhere between twenty-five to thirty. Okay. A year. So, so, so this isn't an every weekend type of thing. It, but, it's, but it's it, not every. But weekend. it's frequent. It's frequent. It's yeah. enough to be like two or three a month. Okay. Just about. Okay. And uh, are they all local in Baton Rouge, or do you find yourself going to other areas? Some are uh, local. Some in Baton Rouge. Uh, I've done shows in uh, New Orleans. Done shows in Lafayette, Shreveport. Uh, I recently just came back from Jackson, Mississippi. I've been to Houston, Dallas. Um, been to Mobile. Um, Are you your own agent? Or I, I am. <laughs> I am my own agent. I am my own manager. Okay. I, you know, anyone that wants to book me or wants to contact me to perform, they I, it's my telephone number. Mm-hmm. It's my email address that I check frequently. You know, my Facebook. Um, Instagram, Twitter, what have you, is all managed by me. So okay. anyone con- contacts me, contacts me directly. Okay. Okay. Did your experience with comedy lead to your experience with Laugh Now, Laugh Later? It did. Or are those two different in- things altogether? Oh, no, it, it led to, uh, in fact, I met Terrence at a comedy show. Okay. Where I um, actually uh, did horrible. At- Terrence actually had an opportunity to go to a comedy show? Uh, he did. He that was filming. That means that we're not working him hard enough. If, if he, <laughs> You actually went to a comedy show? <laughs> really? He went. He went. He we, was- didn't, we didn't have enough here for you to do that, that, that you actually had the time? Uh, okay. Well, we've got to talk. Right, right. He, he's not supposed to have time to go to exactly. comedy shows. So, okay, so 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 how did this happen now? Well, he was actually working at okay. a comedy show. He was filming um, 
for I forgot who it was through the show was for, but we he was filming there and I did horrible. Like <laughs> it was I might have been two months into the game mm-hmm. and I still was new, but I was on this high like oh I could do this I'm really doing this you know I'm I'm like yeah I'm booking gigs and all this other stuff so I go up there and I get booed off the stage <laughs> and it it was bad but but Terrence was actually there he he encouraged me he's like man you know just keep going keep doing it you know you got this it happens you know and um a friend of mine who was actually on the original cast of uh laugh now laugh later uh mr joel tally a good friend of mine he was originally on the cast and so i kind of just i watched the show just off just because i knew he was on the show right and then um i just happened to you know as they say now, be thirsty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like, hey, I want to be on the show too. <laughs> so Terrence responded and said, hey, man, look, man, I'll DM, I'll DM you my number, man. You know, hit me up. We can work some thing out. Okay. And then from then on, I just kind of, you know, joined the cast as mm-hmm. far as uh, doing sketches and things like that. Do you have any input into the creative end of uh, developing sketches and things of that sort? Uh, it didn't start off that way but it has progressed throughout the seasons to now like i have more of an uh a stamp on a lot of things you know i my creative ideas you know we bounce ideas off each other mm-hmm. with the uh you know between myself terrence and our casting director our head writer alex scott um we we all collaborate together on different ideas so tell so, me what a meeting is like D- describe for me a meeting where you guys are sitting around a table discussing a, a sketch I'm, I'm just curious <laughs> i've never been in such right. an environment i'd be interested in how that goes well basically we'll we, i mean the other day we had like a uh we hashed out some ideas where we were like man we you know we need to come up with something that's quick or maybe come up with like a different character or something like that mm-hmm. something a different look for the show mm-hmm. and we came up with you know an idea we were just kind of bouncing ideas off of each other doing like what comedians like to call riffing which is basically coming up with jokes coming up with funny things mm-hmm. funny scenarios just off the whim you know and, and that's what we did and that's a lot of what our meetings are about it's a lot of times we're just bouncing ideas off each other we're like hey uh, what if we you know we put this person in this situation but instead their roles are reversed you know we have uh this guy who's a salesman who's actually gonna try to sell his own car back to his job you know or something silly like that and we continue on with different ideas and eventually we'll come up with something to where we can actually put something solid on paper okay so let's take the idea that you just came up with okay and and i'm sitting in the meeting and I say, that's a dumb idea. That, mm-hmm. that, that'll never work. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to waste time with that. How do you respond? Is, is this an ego-filled room or an ego-less room? Oh, it's, it's ego-less. We, we would definitely, like, if we, there's been times where I've thought of ideas and it's just like, nah. <laughs> that'll never work. Okay. Uh, and there's other times where I was like, mm, nah, that's, that's, we shouldn't do that. Show you my age. Uh, mm-hmm. Back in 84, I guess it was, or 86, whatever year, uh, they did uh, We Are the World. Okay. When, when all the singers came together. Right. Quincy Jones brought them all in a room, and they started doing We Are the World. He put a sign outside the studio before they walked in, uh, leave your egos at the door. Right. Or, or park your egos at the door. And I can imagine that that's a difficult thing for artists to do, to yeah. to just leave their egos at the door. So I, I, I'm guessing that that would be true for you guys also. I mean, you guys uh, consider yourselves to be creative, consider yourselves to be uh, contemporary, consider right. yourselves to be on point. So I can imagine if, you, if you're sitting around with four or five of your colleagues, uh, it's mm. difficult for somebody to say, man, that's a dumb idea. Well, well, you know, where, where'd that come from? Right. Are you still awake? <laughs> right. <laughs> Did you drink too much last night? You know, some, and after a while, you start, you know, get off me. Leave me, <laughs> leave me alone. <clears throat> exactly. Especially when it's, you know, the ideas from a, a, a place of expertise. You mm-hmm. know, like, you know, Ter- Terrence is our producer. He's our director. He's the, the video part of it you right. know, the production part of it and so if he has an idea where it involves some type of cinematography and we're like nah that's stupid <laughs> you yeah. know I'm, I'm sure that it's not something that just gonna be taken 
lightly. He's not going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. He's going to be like, well, what do you mean? I mean, I'm telling you this because it's yeah. my expertise. Just right. like if I came up with a uh, comedic idea or mm-hmm. I come up with something that, hey, we should do this because it will be funny if we did it this way. And me being uh, the stand-up comedian, I would, you know, if someone said that's not funny, and I know I came up with it, I'm like, well, I don't see you coming up with anything funny. What you mean? Yeah, <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. what makes your idea funnier than my idea? I'm the expertise in comedy here, okay. you know. So, we, but whatever. Every time we do have something constructive, it's always constructive. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that may not be a good idea because of this. You know, we always try to give a reasoning behind it, mm-hmm. or it's not funny because it may be viewed this way. Mm-hmm. So that's that's always what we try to do. That's always what we always try to do was make sure that if we are you know criticizing an idea there's a reason behind it it's mm-hmm. not we just not just saying it just to say nah that's stupid mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you do two different creative things you're part of laugh now laugh later you're part of uh your own stand-up routine i imagine there might be other things that i don't know about the, mm-hmm. the, that you do that are creative but you also have a very uh Well, permanent is not the right word. You 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 have a very regular nine to five job, probably right. more more than nine to five <laughs> uh, job with the retirement system for the Louisiana Teachers yeah. Association. How do you blend your life? We're going to talk about the Teachers Association in a minute, mm-hmm. but but how do you blend the creative end with the the more regular end? Plus the fact that you're a father yeah. and, and and you have a family and, and you have responsibilities where that's concerned how does all that blend together i feed off of everything to utilize with everything and it's it's funny because a lot of times when i got my position as a director of administrative services at teachers retirement one of the questions was you know how do you uh fair against speaking in front of people mm-hmm. And so I actually gave an example of my stand-up comedy. You know, I was able to use my stand-up comedy to say, oh, I'm able to communicate verbally with different audiences um, to convey a message. And the message is a comedy and a joke. And I'm able to do so with different levels because Mm -hmm. there's an array of different people in the audience, whether, you know, they're black, green, purple, gold, old, young, children, you know, elderly, it's always going to be somebody, you know, that can relate to something. And there's going to be people that may not get what you're saying, but I was able to give an example of the fact that, you know, my stand-up comedy helps with my communication. And they were actually impressed. I thought, <laughs> I thought I was going to be like, you know, they was gonna, wasn't going to take me seriously. Mm-hmm. But after, you know, explaining to them what I, how I was able to do so, they, they were impressed with it. Do you have to travel a lot with the retirement? I don't. Uh, system? Which is good for me because uh, with my with my wife and my young daughter, she was mm-hmm. four. You know, I'm able to stay in the city as far as work is concerned. So I don't have to travel as much. I just come to work, stay at work, come home. So let's talk about the retirement system and for, yes, for teachers. Not not so much the nuts and bolts of the retirement <laughs> system, right? But about the relationship that you have with education in mm-hmm. this state because of your job. One of the concerns uh, that I regularly voice uh, is my concern with the level of public education, mm-hmm. primarily in East Baton Rouge Parish. Uh, your your scope is, is larger, the mm-hmm. whole state. But <clears throat> I just feel like there is, there is an inadequacy yep. that exists in uh, public education. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a professional educator. In fact, uh, I have great admiration for what teachers do, and I think that they get a bad rap because they're not allowed to actually teach. Right. Uh, they have to do so many other things. That being said, when you're in a parish where the majority of your schools uh, rank D or F, uh, where we just had a candidates forum here for school board a couple weeks back, and it was mentioned that on opening day of school there were 70 positions that were being filled by substitute teachers Mm -hmm. for core classes basic classes Uh, it just says that there's there seems to be a lot of uh, ineptness Mm -hmm. that exists 
within the public school system. Now, I'm not trying to get you to agree or disagree because you have a job to go to, but I just want to get your insights as to what you think is going on in public education. Well, I just think that one of the main things for sure is to pay, you know, uh, to get quality teachers, to get a quality education, they need to be compensated for it. And teaching isn't easy. I can, you know, I'm, I'm not a teacher, but my sister, she is a teacher. She's a teacher for East Feliciana Parish. Okay. And, you know, she doesn't make the most, but she makes the most of it. And, in fact, you know, teachers really, really do need the backing of their school board. That just And on top of that, they need to have the, the not the training, but the, how can I put it? They need the backing, they need the training, they need the resources. That's mm-hmm. they need the resources to teach to the children. And mm-hmm. right right now, what I'm noticing just being in the retirement system is that a lot of the teachers that are in the East Baton Rouge Parish, they're leaving. They're leaving the state, they're mm-hmm. leaving the parish, they're leaving the school system. Um, and they're going to charter schools, they're going to private schools, they're going to different states. And in different parishes. In different parishes. They're, they're as well. still doing the, the drop thing where they where where they retire in East Baton Rouge Parish, but they move to a different parish or into mm-hmm. South Mississippi right. and take a job in the public school system over there. Correct. So that they can um, make up their income by, by actually getting a retirement check right. here and a a working check over there. Correct. And you know, we and a lot of that we've seen it more now. And the reason being is because the retirement age has gotten higher. And so, like, like people now, all that experience that they had in the past, the people that, you know, were the great teachers, been teaching for 25, 30 years, mm-hmm. they're all leaving. Mm-hmm. And the younger teachers that's coming up, they're not, you know, appealed to making 35, 40 grand a year when they have... Fifty, sixty thousand student loans to pay for, right? And they're they're going into these they're failing schools, and they're not getting the resources, they're not getting the backing, they're not getting the support that they need to help these children. So what they're doing is instead of you know fighting for that, they're giving up, mm-hmm. and they're just like, well, I'm just gonna go to you know a private school, mm-hmm. or I'm gonna go to one of these charter schools where I can make double the money, mm-hmm. and as long as I make double the money, as long as the teachers students get an A, we're going to get the funding. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to move. I'm just going to move all together. I know uh, Texas um, has great schools there. You know, the Houston um, ISD, I think whatever it's called, or the right. Dallas ISD and stuff like that, those school districts out there, I can move out there and make twice as much in a booming economy and don't have to work as hard. Yeah. So I just think that as far as the education, especially in East Bedridge Parish, we're definitely lacking the resources, and we definitely are lacking the support that these teachers need. That's why we, when these positions come up, especially when, during voting right now, where it's critical during election season, that we need to vote people who are going to back the education and put the children first. By putting the children first, meaning putting the teachers and giving the teachers what they need to teach our children. I'm glad you said that because this is going to drop on uh, November the 5th, which is the day before mm-hmm. Election Day, which gives me the opportunity to say, if you did not participate in early voting, we certainly hope that you take advantage of the opportunity tomorrow to vote. Go uh, vote. Not just for school board members, but for constable, for city judge, for secretary of state, and for the propositions uh, that are on the ballot as well. I believe that there are six propositions on the ballot. I early voted. There's no reason why you should not take advantage of the right, the privilege, the responsibility of voting. So thank you for for saying that. Uh, Let me refer back to that candidates forum that we had here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the things that, that and, and I'm, I'm always learning things, and I'm, I'm thankful that I'm, I'm still at an age where I can learn things. Oh, yeah. Of course, it also makes me feel like, why didn't you know that already? <laughs> but um, one of the things that, that, that I found surprising, because the bulk of our, of our time in the candidates forum was spent with school board mm-hmm. members, uh, candidates for school board. 
I didn't realize how impotent the school board actually is when it comes to day-to-day operation of the school system. Uh, uh, incumbents uh, who were sitting on the panel were saying that the school board basically has two jobs. And that is to oversee the budget and hire uh, a school superintendent and that everything else is left into the hands of the school superintendent. Well, if that's the case, right. then why are we spending a whole lot of time talking about school board members? <laughs> uh, uh, it seems that the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education, Bessie, has far more influence and far more power when it comes to curriculum and things of that sort uh, than do school board members. Am I wrong on that, or, or did I miss something, or what? It Honestly, it sounds about right. It, it, it does, because, you know, the superintendent is chosen or hired by the school board members. Right. And then basically the superintendent oversees the school board, the, uh, or oversees the school power, the power system, rather. Mm-hmm. And the school board pretty much oversees the superintendent. And as long as nothing's breaking or nothing's, you know, going to haywire, they're fine. They're like, okay, how much is we're spending? Um, all right, superintendent's still here. All right, cool. Well, we're good. So it's like they, they don't have the connection to the things that's going on within the school board or within the parish itself. So they, they're just kind of just there as overseers. That's frustrating. Or, it is. Or, or for me to have heard that the other night, it was frustrating to me. I mm-hmm. thought that school board members had a little bit more uh, influence mm-hmm. in what goes on within the schools that exist within their uh, districts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I understand that uh, we have lost superintendents in the past because of micromanagement coming from the school board. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are essentially saying, well, if you hire me to do a job, then let me do the job that I was hired to do and don't try to tell me how to do it. I, I, I understand the frustration of that. I've been in situations where I was given an assignment but then not allowed to fulfill the assignment that I was given. And, and so I know that there's frustration on, on that end. But when you have the level of, of failure that exists within our public schools. The number of public schools uh, that are being turned over uh, to charter programs or to the state uh, and the number of uh, children that are leaving the public school system in favor of parochial or private schools, which do not have to uh, live up to the same rigors of a public uh, school. Uh, with regard to teacher certification, with regard to curriculum, with regard to testing, right. things of that sort, uh, I just see it as 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 a system that is caught up in chaos, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering how you can unravel the chaos that exists there. It has to start from the top. You have to get school board members in there who are willing to connect to the parish that they oversee. They need mm-hmm. to be able to look at you know demand more than just uh what's the budget looking like for this fiscal year mm-hmm. they, they need some accountability for principals you know they need more accountability for the testing scores they need accountability for the performance of the schools and not just rely on what the budget or what the books say like as long as all right we're in the we're in the black we're fine mm-hmm. you know oh we're we're in the red okay let's cut some stuff you know instead of actually looking to see what is actually needed right and that's the disconnect there is what causes that you know ineptness so to speak to where the fact that they rely on the superintendent to do everything and just worried about the administrative budget mm-hmm. instead of actually thinking about, okay, well, what can we do to make sure that we don't have any more of these DNF schools? Let's get these schools up to par. Let's, mm-hmm. let's not have it to where we have a bunch of people staying and trying to move into one area because of this school is an A school and not into this other area because it's a D school. And let's not have it to where we have a 
people, a bunch of people trying to break away from the parish mm-hmm. all over, you know, failing schools. St. George. St. George, correct. Mm-hmm. You know, where it started off as them wanting their own school district, now they want their own incorporation city. Which tells you how far certain people are willing to go in order to get their own school district, because that's what this is really all about. Exactly. This is not about a city. It's not. But, but they're saying if that's the only way that we can get our independent school district, mm-hmm. then yeah, we'll, we'll go form a city in order to. <laughs> Man, you got to really want it bad yeah. that you're willing to do that. And you're lying to the public mm-hmm. week in and week out over the last now five years because right. they took two years for the first petition thing and fell short. Right. And then they reconfigured everything uh, so that they can get it done this time. And I really believe that they're going to get it done this time because I don't see the same level of resistance this time around that you saw last time around so I fear that it's going to happen but to lie to your own people Mm -hmm. and to lie to the parish and to lie to the state so that we can become a city just so we can have our own school system and you got to really want a school system (laughs) bad to want to do all of that and that should say something that there's a, a part of the parish that is willing to not be a part of the city yes just to be able to control how they you know, navigate through their own school system. Yes. How they're able to, you know, get their own school. They want their own school board. They want their own curriculum. They want their own performance evaluation, their own superintendent board, what have you. And rather than them saying, like thinking to themselves, well, what can we do to welcome them back on, keep them right in our school system. (laughs) They're just like, well, let's see what the budget says. Nobody (laughs) told you, by the way, because, I said that you're lying, and you are lying. Yeah. Uh, uh, somebody's going to say, well, what, what lie are we telling? You're telling a lie when you tell people that you're going to be able to provide goods and services uh, within your community uh, at one cost when in it, every expert has said it's going to cost another. You're telling a lie to people when you say that your policing can be done by the sheriff's office and you don't have to hire your own police force when that's against the law. You're telling a lie when you tell people that a Volunteer fire service can be a full-time fire service without any raising of taxes. That's a lie. You're telling a lie when you tell people that your ambulance services can be done uh, without any increase in taxes. You're telling a lie when you tell people that you can have all of the benefits of a city at no cost and your taxes will not go up but a fraction. That is a bold-faced lie that you are telling to your people, your constituents, that you're telling to East Baton Parish that you're telling to the state of Louisiana all of which are going to vote you in and then you're going to have to come back and tell them oops we made a mistake so in case you and and I said that yeah you lied and you're lying every day and you're going to get what you want but you lied so I concur with, 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 with that being said if you're going to do that if you're going to form your own independent school system do you have the right in your opinion or do they have the right in your opinion to then appropriate schools that were built by the East Baton Rouge Parish school system for the East Baton Rouge Parish school system I'm talking about Woodlawn Elementary, Woodlawn Middle Woodlawn High School, Southeast Elementary or Southeast Middle whichever school it is that's out there because the next thing they're going to want to do is say well you know all these buildings out here they should come to us. Right. I watched this happen in Zachary. Right. I watched this happen in Central. Right. I watched this happen in Baker. And I'm afraid it's going to happen out here, too. And we're going to give away schools for next to nothing yep. to further improv- impoverish an already financially strapped East Baton Rouge Parish school system. You are absolutely correct. They're probably going to just say, hey, well, they're in our, dish, they're in our city now. You know, they're already here, so let's just, you know, incorporate these schools into our new city, which would be part of our new district. And and to go back to what you said about the taxation, I remember um, I was working at the golf course, and I remember when Central became incorporated. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, a buddy of mine who worked with me who lived in Central who was 100% against taxes <laughs> because he knew – he was against it altogether because right. he was like, this is going to cost us. Yeah. This is going to cost us a lot. And sure enough, they raised taxes, but I don't know how much, <laughs> but it was an, sure. it was a huge amount to what they were paying beforehand. And he was like, it's stupid. We were fine where we were at before. Everything was great. Now they want to become a new city. We got to pay for it. So 
just like what Central did, just like what Zachary's doing and Baker and all that, the same thing will happen with St. George. They're going to they're gonna come up with this brilliant idea to we get incorporated as a new city in Louisiana, and then six months down the line, they're going to propose some taxes. And it's like, well, if you raise the taxes by this amount, you know, we're going to get this and this and this and this. And then, you know, the following year, we've got to raise taxes more to get this, 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 and this. Right. And then by that time, people are going to forget about all the promises that they were promised right. when they signed a petition to become incorporated. By the way, the administration of a new city calls for a new mayor. That's a salary. It calls for a new city council. That's a salary. It calls for a new oversight board of, of all of the goods and services that will exist within your city, things like sanitation and water. Those are salaries. Those are people that you have to hire and that you have to pay and that you have to pay benefits for. Retirement, Retirement. and insurance and yep. things of that sort. Exactly. And businesses have run away from St. George uh, trying to become a part of the city of Baton Rouge so that they don't have to get caught up in the mess that you are trying to establish, uh, all in the name of having your own independent school system, mm -hmm. just so Johnny and Mary don't have to go to school with Shaniqua and Muhammad. Right. That's really what this is all about. Exactly. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> so when you are faced with this kind of, of, of reality, uh, this kind of frustration, uh, this this kind of, of racial division that exists within our city, within our state, within our school system, how do you as a 34-year-old black man respond to that? A 34-year-old black man who's a father of a four-year-old child and, 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 and want to raise that child in, in a clean, wholesome, uh, wonderful environment. How do you respond to that? It's tough. I'll be honest with you, it is tough. It's tough to have a response because, unfortunately, it's expected. The, the, the racial division is expected. When, when my family and I go to a restaurant and we may have a, you know, a white server or something like that, it's expected we're not going to get served. We're not going to have good service. When we go to the parades, you know, whether it's the Mardi Gras parades or whether it's the, you know, Thanksgiving parade or Christmas parade or something like that, it's expected we're not going to get anything thrown to us. When we, you know, go to Walmart and we're walking around and we're trying to get some help, it's expected <laughs> for us not to get help. So it's hard for me to, you know, formulate a correct response because some days... I'm like, okay, I understand. I already know what, it's, what, it's, what it is. I'm just going to go ahead and just deal with it. But other times, you know, especially if it has to do with my daughter, mm -hmm. like it's hard for me to have a diplomatic response mm -hmm. to something, especially with my innocent daughter mm -hmm. is involved and, or my wife. So it it's hard for me to have a calculated response every time it happens because sometimes, I, it, most of the times, it, it's expected. And I hate that we live in a society nowadays in 2018 where we still have the racial tensions that we we have and it's unfortunate I see this whole resurrection of things that was that, that were already underneath the surface mm -hmm. as as a visceral response on the part of white people to eight years of the Barack Obama administration yeah uh, eight scandal-less years of Barack Obama, eight years of economic prosperity under mm -hmm. Barack Obama, eight years of excellence under Barack Obama. I see this as a visceral response on the part of segments of the white community mm -hmm. to that. Donald Trump is not so much a problem as he is a symptom of a much deeper, very real problem. Yeah. And that is white folks still have a problem accepting black excellence. Yeah. We, we want to talk about being a colorblind society. Well, we're far from it mm -hmm. in the year 2018. And, yeah. and uh, if anything, Mr. Trump has made it fashionable and acceptable 
to be openly racist yeah. in, in this country, which uh, I find very unfortunate. It is. All that being said, Baton Rouge is your home. You were born here, raised here, uh, this general area, East Baton Rouge Parish. Is this a place where you want to raise your your child? Or I, I, I ask every young person that sits across from mm-hmm. me, do you want to stay in Baton Rouge or, or do you have plans that will take you someplace else? The plan is, well, I actually live in Denham now. But <laughs> which wow. Is, yeah. I moved How'd to, you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we went out there for the schools. K. K. <laughs> we, we K. Went. Right. That's all. Uh, right. And every time you say denim, first thing that comes to my mind is K. Right. K. K. Right. And I and it's it's funny you say that because I actually bring you know that's part of some of my comedy uh, routine is the fact you know living in Denim Springs mm-hmm. and stuff like that and it's not as bad as it has been in the past. But it's still not good. Mm-hmm. It's still we still get looks. We still get cold shoulders. We still get followed. We still get that expectation. Followed um, by whom? Followed by you know whether it's police officers. I whether knew that. It's, I just wanted you to say that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You get followed, followed by, by law enforcement. By law enforcement. Correct. Law enforcement. Security. What have you, whether we're at the Walmart, whether we're at Dollar Tree or Decatos mm-hmm. or Rouse's or something like that. Mm-hmm. No matter what business we're at, we're extra attention falls upon us when we enter the facility. And again, back to, you know, your original question about whether I want to raise a family here. I don't. I I don't. And it's sad because this is my home. I met my wife here, my child was born here, my you know, my immediate family's here, but I just, the way things are going, like, I know that in order to be successful, in order to be fully accepted, and I don't even know if about fully accepted as far as being in the race is concerned because of the climate that we're all going through right now throughout the entire country, mm-hmm. but I know for sure here, it is just such a divide, and it's so prominent that, like, I don't know how anyone could l- willingly live and raise a family if you're black here. So, Mr. Merrill, I am the appointed goodwill ambassador mm-hmm. for Baton Rouge and East Baton Rouge Parish. <clears throat> Tell me what I can say to you, what I can promise you, what I can reassure you uh, about that would perhaps change your mind about raising your family here in Baton Rouge and not moving to a different state or a different part of the country? You have to, and you have to, economy. The economy has to be better. The jobs, opportunities have to be better. There have to be business development in not only in one area, but all of Baton Rouge. You know, I, I shouldn't have to drive down airline smooth you know pavement across florida and that's i know i'm seeing potholes i shouldn't have to see flourishing uh businesses in segan lane blue bonnet but i don't see that same thing on evangeline in hollywood you know i i shouldn't have to go all the way to south baton rouge or something like that for a a sam's club or 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 to go to the mall or something like that. When there was a mall in the North Baton Rouge that was just, that's now a wasteland, pretty much. Yes. You know, so if let you know how old I am. I remember <laughs> when they built Cortana. I, w- I was 13 years old when they started building. I was 15 years old when the place opened up. I'm 57 years old, mm-hmm. and it's all but closed right now. So in a span of 40 years, right. It went from being brand new, a thriving place, 
uh, one of the first jobs I ever had, working at J.C. Penney at, at Cortana Mall. What we did on Friday nights, because you know how boring it was in Baton Rouge, what we did in Friday, <laughs> on Friday nights is we went to the mall. Yeah. Ain't have no money, but we just walked the mall. <laughs> and, 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 and we saw our friends right. as we walked the mall. There was a movie theater in Cortana Mall when it first opened up. I saw Back to the Future at, okay. at, at Cortana Mall. So to, to see a place go from a wilderness, that was state fairground when they built it. Wow. And and they moved the state fair closer to Gonzales. Right. Uh, down the Airline Highway. But that was the state fairground. Wow. And they moved it so that they could build the mall. And now the mall is all but closed down. Right. It's just incredible. It is. And, it, and, it, and what's crazy is that you can look at developed places, you know, nice tree lines, development DSLD, DR Horton developing different subdivisions, different businesses are coming in, you know, different things are being developed in one area and another area that's not even five miles down the road is like a wasteland. Mm -hmm. It's like there's nothing. It's like, it's almost like as if you can see the poverty you can see the deterioration like if you sat there and just looked you can see the deterioration as it go and it's like it's disheartening to show see that in baton rouge you have two areas that are on the opposite side of the spectrum yes and they're not too far from each other yes you know just like if you was go down to like highland road and you go highland road northgate to lsu and it's just impoverished people it's they're thriving they you know but you have a major college right here and outside of it is what they like to refer to as the hood yes and then the you, bottom is what the they bottom call it. right yeah the bottom the south yeah and you travel three miles and you see in mansions yes <laughs> you yes. know you see you see mansions you see you see manicured grass and, yes. and, and lawns and, and businesses. And over here, it's a blue store. It's the Wiener Schnitzel. It's, it's, it's crazy. King. Right, Burger King. You know, there's, there's a Dollar General there. And it's so crazy because it's like people from out of the state, they'll come in and then they're just like, wait, where were we just at LSU? Where are we yeah. at now? You know? Yeah. <laughs> And it's not the picture that they're going to show on ESPN tomorrow no. when LSU plays Alabama. No, of course not. They're, they're, they're going to show a different picture altogether. Uh, let's flip the script on that. Okay. Uh, because while, while I, I agree with everything you said, there will be those who will say, well, business and industry are, are really private entities. They, they, they don't – you can't tell a private business where – to uh, make an investment uh, mm-hmm. uh, because it's private and they're taking the risk and they're doing all of these things. So sure. uh, if, if, if a private business chooses not to build in, in a certain area of town because it does not fit their business model, uh, then, then who has a right to tell them that they have to do that? What is it that we as African Americans can and should be doing in order to uh, flip the whole idea that we're not a good investment, we because that's what that's what's right. essentially being said, we're not a good investment. Right, and we have to support our own. We have to support our own because the reason why the businesses are deteriorating in these areas is because we're going, we're traveling down over here, right, to the good stores. You know, instead of uh, patronizing the stores that are here that that are in our area, and I'll I'll be the first to admit I'm one of the, I am guilty of that myself. I am definitely guilty of being like, well, instead of going to um, this Falake or Tana, I think I'm gonna go to the one in the Mall, Louisiana. You know, I'll, I'll take that ride over there. But and why do you do that? And the re- the reason why I did that. Because the shoes are going to be in stock <laughs> at Mall of Louisiana. Right. And they're not going to be in stock at, 
at, at Cortana. At Cortana. And you've had that experience. I have. And so you want the shoes not next week. We can <laughs> we, we can order them and they'll be in next week. Right. Or, or or I can go down the street five minutes mm-hmm. and I can get them right now, right. which was the whole plan in the first place. <laughs> right. Th- th- there is a reason why. There is. There is. But I, I think it is. But what we can do as far as like black people, as African-Americans in this city, is to support our own. And if that means having to wait a week to keep the dollars at that footlocker, that's a sacrifice that we have to make. I don't know if we're willing, because at that time, I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't willing to make that sacrifice. <laughs> I was young. I was young. I was young. I wasn't willing to make that sacrifice. I'd rather sacrifice the, the the $2.48 a gallon gas for me to drive to Blue Bond and sit in that traffic and go to that footlocker and get those right. shoes, rather than being like, you know what, I'm going to wait. Or you order them, send them to my house, I'll you know, patronize this footlocker. Right. Or what do you have in my size? Or what other shoe alternatives I do have? You right. Know? I, I at the time, now, knowing what I know now, definitely I would to keep these stores open, to keep generating these businesses so that way it can appeal to other businesses coming in and thriving. Because right now, I mean, South Baton Rouge, that's where everything's going. But you are a part of two worlds, and I'm not just talking about the entertainment world versus mm-hmm. the education world. You, you, are, you work for someone yeah. at, at, at the state retirement system uh, state education retirement system but you're your own boss mm-hmm. when it comes to your comedy uh, act and when it comes to working with laugh now laugh later right. so you you are an entrepreneur of a sort mm-hmm. on this one end so how do you balance this 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 entrepreneur's spirit that you have on this one end? with what you see on the other end. Uh, and, and, and as an entrepreneur, what is it that you say to me, the public, about, hey, here I am. Come, come, come patronize me. Come patronize my business. Come, come see me. Come deal with me. How, how, how do we develop and cultivate a greater sense of entrepreneurship within the com- within our African American community because that's that's where the change is going to come. It's not right. going to happen in my lifetime. I'm old, no. <laughs> but, but, but but it is going. If if it's going to happen, it's going to take a return to entrepreneurship within the right. African American community. Right. I think that we have to. What I always say, and I always say to myself, and the reason why I have this entrepreneurship type of mentality is in order for people to take myself seriously I need to take myself seriously and so if you're an entrepreneur out there right now if you're thinking about starting your own business you need to take it seriously you can't play around with your business whatever it may be you know whether you're you're washing cars you're um, mowing lawns you're creating t-shirts you're embroidering whatever it is take it seriously you know I, I see a lot of see a lot of people you know that that still have nine to five jobs and then have a business on the side whether it's um auto uh maintenance it could be i sell plates on weekends or something like that Mm -hmm. you know what what have you you have to take it seriously Mm -hmm. and others will take you seriously If if you're playing around which i used to do especially even in my comedy you know like i would do comedy any and anywhere for any and any amount of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matter of fact, there's been times where I've actually lost money performing comedy just because sure. I wanted to do it. Sure. And those shows were shows that didn't put me in the best light. Mm-hmm. It was shows where it was poorly run, it was poorly promoted. It 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 wasn't. It was a joke. The entire thing was a joke, and it mm-hmm. was viewed as a joke. Mm-hmm. And anyone who participated in it was viewed as a joke. Mm-hmm. And I had to look at myself to say to myself one night after one of those bad shows, after, you know, having a bad experience, actually getting into an, an argument with the promoter and the club owner, um, I had to sit down and say, I can't do these type of things no more. Mm-hmm. I have to, if I want people to take me seriously as a comedian, I need to take myself seriously as mm-hmm. a comedian. So uh, from now on, whenever someone contacts me, it's business. It, you know, I'm, I'm providing a service, 
and I should be compensated for that service. Sure. These are my rates. These are my fees. If you can't afford it, then that's that's it. Then I'm not going to be here. Right. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, it's flat. Like, I am negotiable based off of, you know, the need and what can be done or what the event is. But I'm not going to sell myself short mm-hmm. any longer. And that's why I feel like, though, as entrepreneurs, that we shouldn't sell ourselves short. And also, because of that, people will start to value what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If... For example, if I make T-shirts and I sit there and it takes me three hours to do a T-shirt, meaning I, I design, I put the design on there, I get the vinyl, I, I'm designing on a computer, I'm printing out, I'm ironing on, it's in, it's everything's done, and it costs me $35 to make, but I'm only charging five. <laughs> you got a business, too. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm only charging $5 for a shirt. And I'm not giving you any type of deadline or anything like that. So people are like, hey, I need a shirt tonight. You know, hey, Will, can you make me a shirt tonight? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got you, man. I got you at five bucks. And I'm taking all this. I'm wasting all this time. And then I give them a $5 shirt. Now, because it's a rush order, because something messes up or something like that, it may not be the quality that they want. All of a sudden, I'm a bad entrepreneur. Right. All of a sudden, oh, man, I wouldn't mess with Will no more. His, his shirts suck. I don't care. Right. They're all five bucks. They suck. Right. But... From like, all right, the shirt, I need at least two days advance for the shirt. Here's your invoice. Mm-hmm. Um, you can PayPal me, cash at me, you know, what have you. Write a check, cash, what have you. Um, here's the design of the shirt. If you agree, I'll go ahead and make it for you. I need two days. It's going to cost you $30. It's a custom-made shirt. I'll be ready for you Friday. Now, all of a sudden... They're like, man, he's, this dude's serious. He got an invoice. He's doing this. He has bit. And people, the aesthetic of it is people are taking it more seriously. Thirty dollars for a shirt. Thirty dollars for man, a shirt. Man, I went to JoJo. JoJo could be, make me the same shirt for fifteen ninety five. So, so why, why, why are you charging me thirty dollars for a shirt? Well, then go to JoJo for fifteen ninety five. But I tell you what, my quality is gonna be better because I'm taking myself seriously. I don't know if JoJo takes themselves seriously. And that's that's the problem. Right. We won't support our own. When our own stand up and say, "This is what it costs," mm-hmm. you know. When, when, when I was a kid, and we would we would travel. Uh, my mother was from Tucson, Arizona, and every now and then we go south from Tucson down into Nogales, Mexico. And we loved going into Nogales, Mexico, because you could bargain with everybody there. I don't care what they had down there. If they said it was ten dollars, you tried to get it for two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and and, and you knew that somewhere between ten and two, you were gonna make. You weren't gonna pay ten. Yeah. <laughs> you, you might not pay two, but you sure weren't, sure weren't gonna pay ten for it. Now, give, give me eight dollars. Give me eight dollars. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. We, we'll, we'll go through. Well, maybe four. Okay, well, we'll meet you at four. That's the way we treat one another here. Mm. And this ain't Mexico. Right. But but if you as a black businessman say that it costs $30 for this T-shirt, then we ought to be willing to pay $30 to the black man for the T-shirt and not pay $28 to the white man mm. for the t-shirt and think that we got a deal right. because we saved ourselves $2. Exactly. Or get mad with you and go out and badmouth you and say, man, he, he wouldn't even cut me a break. He, he, he thinks he's better than everybody. No, he's a businessman. He's trying to pay bills. He's trying to take care of his family just like everybody else. Right. If you want the shirt, pay the money. Exactly. And if you don't want to pay the money, then I guess you don't want the shirt. Mm-hmm. Why is that hard for us to understand? Because we, as people, we it's like we we don't want to support anyone or don't want to help anyone else out until they've made it. And it's sad. It, it, is, it is crazy because of the fact that, let's say my $30 T-shirt that they didn't want to pay $30 for, now all of a sudden I do so well because I got other patrons that don't know me, that are willing to pay for it, all of a sudden it gets picked up by a major distributor. Like, you know, distributor, I mean, like like Macy's or something right. like that. Macy's or J.C. Penney or something like that. And now the shirt's $50. And now that same person's going to go over here and say, oh, man, I remember we used to make them shirts for $30, man. Hey, bro, hook me up, man. I get one of them shirts, yeah. bro. You know, I get one of them yeah. shirts? Like, nah, you could have paid for it when it was 30 Yeah. 
You would have got it. You got a custom made for me. Now being mass produced. So and that's you, the key phrase. Hook me up. Hook me up. That's the phrase that we. That's why we go to barber shops and buy DVDs that somebody went into the theater and made themselves because we constantly looking for a hookup. Right. And won't pay the regular price for the product. And if you in there selling cut rate DVDs at the barber shop, yeah, I'm talking about you. Mm-hmm. Y'all stop doing that. Right. <clears throat> so. How do we get past this hookup mentality? Man, we have to treat our businesses like their businesses. If they're taking themselves seriously, take them seriously. If you get hit with an invoice or they're like, it's going to be this amount to get this T-shirt, it's going to be this amount to do this uh, mow your lawn or something like that, pay the price. Just pay it. Not only are you showing support, you are getting that person that much closer to being their own business person. And you, you can be the foundation that helps them. What if he's down to no more money left? Mm-hmm. This person comes to me like, hey, man, you know, okay, I need my grass cut. That was going to be $35. All right, fine, $35. He cuts your grass. Next thing you know, that boosts him to go out and uh, he's $35 short to get his LLC. Right. So now he's a, now he's a legit business. Now he can, he can get a business loan. He can get better uh, quality equipment. He can hire people. Now, this person, a legit business person, all, all right. because you decided, you know, to pay him what he asked for. Right. And you never know what a business, a person who's an entrepreneur, what that next sale or that next service could do for them. It could be the fact that they're, man, look, after this, I'm done. You know, I'm doing this last sale, and then that's it. I'm not, I don't have any more orders i don't have anybody that's hit me up about different things i mean i've even experienced that mm-hmm. i experienced a point where it's like i have no people no one's coming to shows no one's you know booking me for shows look i have one show here and then that's it i'm done i'm not doing anything anymore but lo and behold <laughs> my last show five six friends decided to show up and i have a good show and i keep going yeah. but it, you, you never know where you may be at or where that person may be at, and if all they need is a little support, and if we was to support each other, we can build together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's—I think we need to have that mentality, all of us, as a society, as African Americans, in not only in this city but across the country. We need to have that type of mentality to support our own, no matter what. We're on the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I haven't yes. asked you anything about church or religion. <laughs> Can't close without asking you about church and religion. Yes, sir. Do you go to church? Yes, sir. Where do you go to church? I actually uh, attend here. <laughs> <laughs> I like hearing you that. Yes, yes, I attend here. That's I attend uh, Shiloh. Was it a choice for you uh, to, to decide that you were going to be a part of an African-American uh, church experience, well, well, it was a choice, obviously. Was it a difficult choice, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Well, the diff- it was a difficult choice, but it, wa- it was a, a choice that I didn't take lightly. You know, I, I've been to different churches. I used to go to the old school, old Baptist churches, you know, like when my grandmother used to go to. I've been to the mega churches <laughs> you know mm-hmm. i've been to the interdenominational churches mm-hmm. um i've been to i've even been to a catholic church <laughs> really i've attended a catholic church i've even attended uh one of the church of jesus christ of latter day saints i've attended went a, to a mormon church i went to a mormon church okay. they yeah they they showed up <laughs> at the you house know, for a long time you 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 were considered to be the seed of uh of Cain mm-hmm. in the Mormon church. Yeah, I, I was I was in there. I went to one service. Uh, <laughs> they tried to get me to come back, and I was like, ah, uh, <laughs> let me call you back. You know, I just but for those I, man, who don't know, the Mormon you, the Mormon church used to teach for years and years and years, for decades, that uh, African American people, black people, were the seed of Cain, which made us the seed of the first murderer recorded in scripture and they use that as a reason to keep African Americans from being a part of their clergy uh, now that changed I want to say 15 maybe 20 years ago it, it could have been longer than that but for 
decades that was a part of, of their practice. And so I'm always interested when I hear about because Gladys Knight became a Mormon. Oh, wow. And, and uh, I, I, if, I, if ever I have the opportunity to meet her because I love her music, yeah. I'm going to say, how in the world do you ever make that crazy decision? Mm. <laughs> and, and it's funny because I think around that time they were actually targeting African Americans to join the church because mm-hmm. like myself, my uncle, um, and other like uh, African Americans that I knew were being targeted or I guess being recruited yeah. <laughs> to join the, uh, mm. the Mormon church. So. Why do you think that is? Well, because I guess after a while they realized that um, it wasn't a good idea to not have blacks involved. And why do you think that is? Because you're you're on target. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Because it ain't a spiritual reason. Oh no, it's not a spiritual. It's an economics reason. reason, of course. Because statistically, African Americans attend church more than any other ethnic or racial group in this country. Right. African Americans and Hispanics yeah. attend church more than any other racial ethnic group in this country. And they realize that if we want to continue to thrive economically, yeah. then we will have to change our theological perspective mm-hmm. and say, come on in, black folk, y'all just as welcome as everybody else is. Exactly. exactly. Incredible. Exactly. Well, in closing, yes, sir. What would you like people to remember you for when you come to the end of your? You know how we pray in the old church, mm-hmm. Lord. When I come to the end of my journey and the road <laughs> runs, when 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 the final chapter is written on your life, what is it that you want people to remember you by? Honestly, I just wanted to be as that he was a good person that no matter what he helped he took care of his family and he was funny <laughs> but overall he was a good person and good to, good person to be around now I'm going to say this to you I've said this to the other comedians that I've had on here nobody's mm-hmm. taking me up on it next time you have a comedy show you just gotta you gotta let me know I'm, I'm gonna pop in to your comedy show yes sir and uh, I, I just want to see uh, I enjoy stand up comedy mm-hmm. I, I used to watch stand up comedy all the time mm-hmm. back when uh cable was just getting started uh, uh vh1 had nothing but stand it, it, it wasn't music as much as it was stand-up comedy. rosie o'donnell got started mm-hmm. on on vh1 i love comedy routines ain't crazy about dirty comedy where every yeah. other word is is a profane word but i just enjoy good comedy so I'd, I'd love to have the opportunity to come by and watch you do a set sure well i'll tell you right now uh november 16th I have no idea where it's at, <laughs> but that's my next show, uh, November 16th. And I also have another show at uh, the Ice House. I am hosting a uh, comedy showcase at the Ice House uh, Baton Rouge. It's on uh, Airline Highway near Barringer Foreman. Mm-hmm. It's on November 28th, so it's after Thanksgiving. It's a Wednesday night. Uh, I think it starts at nine or something like that. Um, Good. So after we leave Bible study, correct on 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 Wednesday, November twenty eighth, yeah. then I'll have to make my way to the ice house. That's it. Huh? That's it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate Thank you. your time. Thank you. Appreciate I your appreciate energy. It. Appreciate your enthusiasm. Appreciate your insight. Thank, Thank you. you for watching the Thrive Podcast. Listening to the Thrive Podcast. I'm Fred Jeff Smith. I'll see you next time.